I love that song. Welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Today is April the 20th, and it is currently 5.05 p.m. My name is Christine. And I'm Ashley. I'm Jake. Howdy. We, all three of us, are your show hosts for this afternoon, and we are broadcasting to you live from the University of British Columbia Vancouver campus from unceded Musqueam Territory. Today the, today, the Arts Report has very big news for you. This is actually going to be the Arts Report's second-to-last show before a four-month-long summer break. Sorry about it. I know this may come as a shock and a sad thought to some of you, but Ashley and I assure you that we will be back in the fall. With Same place. lots of arts-related content, jam-packed hours, so much stuff happening. Occasional yep. stuttering digressions from me. <laughs> Occasional stuttering digressions. So you'll all hear us back in the fall, same place, same time, Wednesday, 5 p.m. Um, from the CITR radio station. And even though we are on summer break, our social media feeds will still continue to be updated with new arts and culture events, um, reviews, and more. So do follow us on Facebook and Twitter to keep up to date with us throughout the summer. Our Facebook is The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Our Twitter handle is at CITR underscore Arts Report. Um, so moving on. On today's sh- to what we have for today's show, we're going to be talking about three uh, specific events that mm-hmm. our arts reporters have gone to review. Um, these three are the Persistence of Vision Film Festival, the Real to Real International Film Festival, and the Arts Club Theater's performance of The Valley. So we would first like to start off by talking about the POV Film Festival. It's an annual event Let's showcasing the short films made by students in the Department of Theater and Film. Ashley, do you want to tell more? Tell us more about it? Sure, of course. It was actually founded in 1988, no, 89, excuse me, my ninth, my eighth, by director Lynn Stopkowicz, who is in Kissed, Suspicious River, The L Word, and, and producer uh, Stephen Haggis of Bright Light Pictures. They're both actually UBC Film Production students. And this is actually its 26th year. If people are interested in seeing it, they are short films by students at the Faculty of Theater and Film. It is their 26th year and is one of the longest film festivals in Vancouver. It is on um, April the 23rd to the 24th at the Norm Theater. The doors will open at 5.30 and the show starts at 6. People, if they want to get tickets, and they should, Right now, they have advanced tickets for $8.50, but if you want to get at the door, it's only 10 bucks. And again, a lot of really cool movies to see. It is a steal, I think. And with us today in studio, we have one of the heads of the festival and writer and director of Victory Falls, which is in the POB Film Festival. We have Mike Johnston. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um took the words right out of my mouth. I I'm was so planning sorry. this whole introduction about Lynn Stopwich mm-hmm. and the beginning of the festival. You took every word right out of my mouth. So I don't know what I'm going to talk about now. Maybe I'll turn it back to you. Yeah, I was confused about the acronym. I thought it was the originally thought it was the Person of Virtuosity Festival, which it turns out is actually a, a competition in Winnipeg for multi for triple threats. Right. Yes, I think that's a separate POV Possibly, uh, yeah, event. Maybe. Or maybe they came here. Maybe they're on tour. So let's yeah. talk about persistence of vision. Let's talk about the POV Film Festival. How did you get involved? Um, I got involved. So just a little quick background on me. I am in mm-hmm. my uh, third year of the film production program. Um, I've been involved with the festival since last year. Last year, I was sort of I was in charge of the financial side mm-hmm. um, of it, and this year, um, I am now 
obviously co-head of the festival. So Congratulations, I, <laughs> moving on up. Moving up the food chain a little bit. Um, so yeah, a lot more added responsibility, obviously. But it's, it's been something that I've been you know, sort of a part of for even when I wasn't in the film production program, I attended the mm-hmm. festival for two years. Um, my, the first time I attended, it was actually here at Freddie Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the year after that, it was at the Rio Theater. So it's an interesting festival because it's kind of gone. It's had several different, you know, versions. It's been all over Vancouver sort of thing. Like you said, it's one of the, the longest running film festivals in Vancouver. Um, so it's an interesting little thing that I've been a part of for, I would say, two years now, but a, mm-hmm. a little bit more outside. And that's really, and I, and I think when you mentioned that it's one of the longest ones and that it's been around at UBC for quite a bit of time. In your opinion, why is this film festival important to UBC's theater and film faculty? Well, I think that, you know, I could, there's a lot of, <laughs> of, course, <laughs> uh, yeah. of reasons. Um, it's, it's sort of, it's, it's nice because, you know, the, we, within the Department of Theater and Film, we obviously have the film production program and the, the, the BFA acting acting programs and um, production design and things like that. Um, but the the theater side, they get to, um, you know, showcase their work pretty frequently. They mm-hmm. put on, you know, six or seven shows a year. We don't really have that. We don't have that luxury, unfortunately. So it's ni- It's sort of this one sort of cultivating moment every year that mm-hmm. we have to showcase these, um, these, this year, 20 films. Every year it sort of fluctuates, but this year we have 20 films. Um, that we're showcasing. Um, and that's sort of, you know, that's something we've o- tried to incorporate in our branding as well, is it's not only a film festival, and yes, there's awards and, you know, a gala and all that uh, that good stuff, but for me, it's it's really a showcase of all this hard work, this, you know, blood, sweat, and tears that we put, it, put into these, you know, <laughs> films for, you know, eight, nine months, in some cases longer. So uh, it's really just, you know, a celebration of all the hard work that we've we've accomplished over the last year, which is, for me, why I got a part, you know, got involved with the film festival. That's so great. And jumping in about the blood, sweat, and tears about <laughs> <laughs> this festival and... Uh, Possibly other bodily fluids. Oh, my gosh, Jake. Right. <laughs> Let's go to your piece, Victory Falls. So what was it like working on a piece to for the uh, film festival? Uh, it was, it's really uh, exciting because the thing, like POV sort of has this, it has this legendary status almost within the, the, the film production program. Mm-hmm. It gets to a part, you know, a point where, you know, when you think about it, we are completing these films for grades and, and marks a part of classes, but you don't really think about that. You just think, oh, I'm just doing this for POV. I just yeah. wanted to showcase a POV because, <laughs> you know, all of us have aspirations to do other things with these films, take them to festivals mm-hmm. or, you know, try and get them, you know, broadcast or programmed somewhere. But uh, for me, the big moment was I just I kind of just want to show it at POV. Like that was <laughs> like especially last year, it being my first year mm-hmm. in the program, seeing a lot of my friends have uh, uh, and uh, fellow students in the program having films at the festival. Um, for me, I found there was actually less pressure last year okay. to, because I didn't have a film playing. Yeah. Uh, whereas this year, the pressure's on because <laughs> I'm not only playing, I'm not only planning the festival, but I'm I've also have a, a film that I've been nice. working on for nine months. So you're wearing a lot of different hats. Yes, literally and figuratively, I wear quite a few hats. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, so this year I, I feel like there's there's an added pressure, but also like an added. Uh, I'm not really sure what the right word is, but there's a there's a certain feeling in the air that's just it's more there's exciting. A gravitas. Yeah, a gravitas. All of these, <laughs> but there's a, there's a certain yeah extra sort of of feeling of like this is going to be a lot of fun. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about your piece, Victory Falls? Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's you know I've this is the you know a question I've been getting over and over again I for know. nine months, but um, the easiest way I would describe it, and I'll go into more detail after, but um, two two big movies 
last year were um, Whiplash and mm-hmm. Foxcatcher. Mm-hmm. And if you could take those two movies and make a baby out of them, that would be Victory Falls. <laughs> that, is <laughs> a really... that is an interesting image of J.K. Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, actually, it's interesting because my lead actor, mm-hmm. I didn't realize this until mm-hmm. we had done shooting the film, but I looked at him like, man, you look a lot like J.K. Simmons. This is going to be a problem for me. Like, people Gosh. are going to be comparing me to the Oh, Whiplash. yeah. But, um, yeah, it's, it's really what it is. It's, it's a story of uh, fathers and sons and competition mm-hmm. and sport and how those sort of things can get in the way of family sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, that's, that is, you know, the easiest way to explain it is if you take the themes of Whiplash and, and Foxcatcher <laughs> and put them together. Um, but ultimately at its core, it's a, it's a story about this complicated father and son relationship, which has been sort of, mm-hmm. no, I don't want to say destroyed, but tainted by the father's uh, desire for gold and success. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really, really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, now that we have to a little bit move away, yes. uh, what are some of the other films that you're excited about this year's POV Film Festival? I know that there are 20 short dramas, and mm-hmm. you guys, uh, for this year, feature predominantly women as directors, producers, and cinematograph- uh, cinematographers. Yes. Um, yeah, I'm not too, I'm not too um, certain of my numbers, but I believe when we last uh, looked at it, over half of the key roles of the films this year have women in those key roles, Mm -hmm. and that includes producers, directors of photography, and directors, uh, which is incredible. Um, But also, it's like, that's another great thing about being involved with this festival, is that the films change every year. You never Mm -hmm. get 20 films that are the same. And this year, um, you say, we actually, we have 20 short films, but they're they're dramas, and we also have quite a few comedies this year, which is something we don't usually get. Most people usually choose to make uh, dramas in this program, but Mm -hmm. this year we actually have almost as many dramas, or sorry, comedies as dramas, I would say. And now that was a, there's a similar characteristic, the uh, higher representation of women in the field that uh, I noticed personally while reviewing web series, the launch of web series as part of the Story Hive. Okay. Would you say that it, project, sorry, enunciation, um, would you say that that is uh, more common in uh, the, this... Um, indie? Yeah, I, 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 I was of? leery of saying indie, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah would I you say that so. as common in indie, and would you say that is spreading inward, or would you say that's currently confined to the indie scene right now? Um, I wouldn't. I, I. It has been confined for a long time. I think it's starting to spread mm-hmm. now. Uh, you know, there's the, in the last couple of years, there's been quite uh, a movement to, in in a way, to get uh, sort of more. I don't. I don't want to say women into those roles, but sort of get men out of those roles <laughs> in a lot of senses. Uh, more inclusivity. More right? inclusivity. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of uh, TV. Sh- like, there's a lot of TV shows uh, or movies out there now that will. Um, higher crews, uh, if it's like, for example, I worked on a TV show last summer called The Switch, which was uh, mm-hmm. the first transgender uh, comedy uh, sitcom of its, of its uh, it was the first one that's ever been done in Canada, at least. Okay, I was um, going to say, like, did it beat Transparent? And no, that's American. No, it, it, in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, um, they had made a very strong play that they wanted at least 50% of the crew to be uh, fulfilled by women, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and like yes, that is an example of an indie. But I think you're starting to see that that movement like move out because there is fantastic, um, you know, female directors and and cinematographers in Canada. Mm-hmm. And it's time that they, you know, start stepping into those roles outside of the indie world. And uh, the indie world is sort of where it starts to get it uh, to, to get the ball rolling. But 
um, it's starting to certainly move outward, as you said. Mm -hmm. And POV is a great place to do it. I know a lot of the mm -hmm. people who showcase their films at POV, they actually, those films actually went to bigger festivals and, and stuff like that, too, like yes. TIFF and VIF and yes, et cetera. Yeah, yeah no, there's yes. been, within the last couple of years, yes. there's been uh, quite a few films that have gone on to Vancouver International Film Festival, mm -hmm. Whistler Film Festival, um, and the Toronto International Film Festival. So it's a great um, launching pad. Uh, for a lot of these films, because a lot of these films is the first time they're being shown, but then mm -hmm. they'll they'll go on to do to do other things. And I wanted to ask, can you comment on how somebody, let's say a student within the faculty, can participate in POV, or is that kind of like when you're in the when you're in the I guess the classes, you're you're automatically like put in to make a film for POV. How does POV Film Festival work in terms of students wanting to? be a part of it? Well, it's it's kind of a little bit of both. It's, oh, okay. um, so in the, in the third year of the program, we have a very interesting program in the sense that in the third year of the program, um, not every, we only make six films. Mm -hmm. uh, so those six films, every, everyone pitches at the beginning of the year and then the six pitches that are successful go on to get made and then everybody else sort of, they, they fill out the key roles as cinematographers or producers. Mm -hmm. uh, those six films are automatically in POV. And the same with uh, the fourth year films. They're pretty much automatically in POV. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the only thing that would disqualify, I guess, a film uh, from POV is if it was like a paid commercial or anything oh, okay, like that. Yeah, but yeah. The, the whole point of POV is, is to showcase the, the work of the students mm -hmm. in, in the program. And some people might say, oh, what about the second year uh, students in the program? Uh, typically, the second year students in the program, we typically don't show anything at POV. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason for that is the second year is very much still an introduction to the program. So they're still, you know, sort of figuring things out. Mm -hmm. And POV is an opportunity for the second years to look at the, the fil films and be like, whoa, I got to make something like that next year. So it's really an opportunity for them to see what they can be as filmmakers. So, you know, it might, you know, some people might look at that and be, oh, it sounds sort of exclusionary or whatnot, but it's it's more of an opportunity for them to to build, to, to see what they need to aspire towards more than be excluded mm -hmm. from. Now, are the actors in the film recruited from the film acting program or are they members of the film program? Uh, they come the from, uh, the actors come from all over. Uh, we, they, some come from the BFA acting program, the lead actor in, uh, my film Victory Falls the J.K. Simmons is fella. not the J.K. Simmons looking fellow. The young, the younger fellow. <laughs> Sorry to him. I, I, I <laughs> uh, the younger fellow who plays the son is from the BFA acting program. He graduated oh, cool. last year. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of the times we usually just put um, ads or notices oh, out on mm -hmm. casting websites. Yeah, and we yeah exactly. We get the local sort of the local indie actors, or we sometimes get. We also have the ability to work with union actors as well. Oh great! Uh, the program mm -hmm. has a agreement with the uh, UBCP, which is the, the local union for uh, film and television actors in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, so we do have the ability to work with, with union actors if, if we choose. That's a challenge that you know some films and some directors choose to undertake. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, act, acting or actors in our films, is, it's one of those things that they come from all over. We have actors that come from inside the film program, from the theater program, or just from around Vancouver. And I wanted to ask, uh, since you were a writer and director for the piece, mm -hmm. what was it like working on a film in the local Vancouver uh, filmmaking scene? It's great. For, uh, for me, it's great. And um, uh, my, I had a fantastic team that I was working with. I'll just mm -hmm. quickly plug them so they don't think not? I'm a bad yes, person. But uh, <laughs> my uh, director of photography, um, Bronwyn Davies, and my producer, Zach Starko, and my uh, post-production supervisor, Nolan Guerrero, they were all 
they all did different things, but then we all sort of worked. We were all very tied to the script, obviously, as well. But the, working on a film in Vancouver is incredible because it just has – there's just a certain community associated with mm-hmm. uh, with film here, especially at the indie level because, you know, there's lots of high-budget productions that get made every year here, but there's a lot of support for the indie level here. Would you say Did you say Zach Starkey? Is it Ringo Starr's son? No, Zach Starko. Oh, okay. <laughs> Not Ringo Starr's son, unfortunately. Um <laughs> But uh, even we we have great deals with Panavision, which is a camera mm-hmm. rental place in Vancouver. Great uh, association with William F. White's, which is a lighting and uh, grip uh, equipment place. So we get support from all those places. And even like uh, not on my film specifically, but a lot of my friends who had their films made, they had a lot of support from indie filmmakers and mm-hmm. uh, camera people in the in the uh, in the community. So Vancouver is a great place to be to be making movies, especially to start making movies. Mm-hmm. And talking about support, if people wanted to go support the films that you are making as well yes. as your fellow peers, again, the annual POV Film Festival is on April the 23rd to the 24th at the Norm Theater at UBC. And if people wanted to buy tickets, where should they go? Uh, well, the most the easily accessible place would be our Facebook page, which is the UBC POV Film Festival, mm-hmm. um, and then that directs you straight to uh, the tickets link. Um, and as you mentioned before, they're eight fifty advance and ten dollars at the door. But I would highly recommend you getting them before because they are going fast. Yeah, I, um, I, and they're cheaper. Yeah, I, I, and I heard that you know it really fills up very very quick. It does. Yeah. Well, when you factor in. You know, the filmmakers and the actors and the family and the cousins and all, you know, all that stuff. It, it, it gets full pretty quickly. So especially on the second night, because the second night is a, our awards gala oh, night uh, where we had a judging panel come in this week and look at all the films. Um, so there will be awards given out for best film, best director, best mm-hmm. uh, writing, all that stuff. So it especially gets busy on the second night because everybody wants to see who the big winners are. April the 24th. That is the 20th. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, 24th. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us on the Arts Report, and best of luck to your film. Thank you. As well as everyone else's film for the uh, POV 26 Film Festival. Again, Norm Theatre, April 23rd to the 24th. Get your tickets ASAP. Thanks. You are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. We'll be right back after a few short breaks. Canadians are being bought and sold. We can no longer ignore this reality. Each of the 27 million human trafficking victims around the globe has a unique story. 80% of victims are women, 50% are children. This is not only a global injustice, but a local reality. It is happening right now in my community. We are asking you to take action today. Visit endexploitation.com. Get informed and take action. British anti-slavery leader William Wilberforce once said, Having heard all this, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. The only question now is what will you do? Join us and help eliminate human slavery in Canada. Show your love for Discorder Magazine at our fundraiser at the Anza Club on Saturday, April 23rd. We've got one epic night planned with performances by Frog Eyes, Weird Candles, The Backhomes, Malcolm Jack, and Experience This, with special guest DJs and MCs to keep you dancing. 
There will also be a silent auction and the sale of exclusive back issues of Discorder Magazine from the 1980s to now, with all proceeds supporting the publication and printing costs of your free, independent Discorder Magazine. Tickets are $10 for CITR members, $15 in advance on brownpapertickets.com, or $18 at the door. Head over to discorder.ca for all the information. Welcome back to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting to you live from the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. I am Christine Kim. I'm Jake Clark. And Ashley Park had to leave early, so we are down one show host. Ashley has left the building. But um, we've got still some exciting content to share with you. Um, this is this is our penultimate show before our four-month summer hiatus, and part of why Ashley and I are going to be taking this uh, break is so that we can be kind of focusing on ways to improve the show and improve our content um, on a weekly basis. And so we're going to be reviewing our past shows um, and planning out the new ones we're going to air in the upcoming school year. Um, so even though new shows won't be coming out each Wednesday in the month uh, from May to August... We encourage every single one of our listeners to be um, listening to the Arts Report's previous podcasts in the summertime and let us know what you think, what you would like to see more of, and what you absolutely dislike. You can reach us at either one of our social media feeds, Facebook or Twitter, or you can email us at arts at citr.ca. So now, we've talked about the Persistence of Vision Film Festival. We're going to be talking about the Real to Real International Film Festival and the Arts Club's theater performance of The Valley. But right now, we are we're going to be plugging a very, very special event. It is Canada's largest alternative literary festival versus Festival of Awards. It launches its sixth season with more than 35 events, including competitions, performances, workshops, readings, all throughout um, East Vancouver in different locations. And it's starting tomorrow, and it goes until May the 1st. It features an extensive list of award-winning um, and celebrated wordsmiths, including Ivan Coyote, Richard Wegemies, Wade Compton, and a whole bunch more. So to here to talk about uh, more about this, the, festival of, the Festival of Words is the arts director, uh, Jillian Christmas. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Um, I'm really good and also really tired. <laughs> Is, be honest it's answer. exam week around here. A lot of people can relate. Yeah, I had a feeling you might. <laughs> and so how have the, how has the preparations for the Versus Festival of Words um, come along this year? I know you've been the arts director uh, for the festival for three years now. Um, and what was it like preparing for the sixth anniversary? Oh, man. Um, it's like the festival has grown exponentially almost every single year. Um, the first year that I was organizing, I think we had something like 12 events. And this year we have 45. Um, so it definitely is expanding rapidly. Um, also, the diversity of events has expanded so much. So um, it definitely takes a lot of work. A huge team goes into making this happen. Um, but I enjoy it every single year. I really do. And uh, right now is, is such a key moment because we get to almost just tomorrow, we will start to see the fruits of all of that labor. Um, and I know it's going to be spectacular. Now, what are the... What's the vision of the festival and what are its main objectives? 
Well, it's actually interesting. I was just reading your mission statement out there, and uh, we actually have a fairly similar one, um, which is just that we want to, first of all, bring excellent um, and unique and interesting programming to our audiences, uh, something that's entertaining, but also thought-provoking. Um, and second, you know, and actually really should be first, I should have said it first, but I was following your little format there, <laughs> um, is that we really, you know, we want to make sure that we are focusing on voices that are um, maybe traditionally marginalized uh, or have not had the same amount of opportunity for stage space um, or workshop space or things like that. Um, we focus on accessibility a lot, whether it be financial, physical, um, all kinds of accessibility. Um, and, you know, that focus is something that we as organizers are still learning and growing into and taking a lot of advice from a lot of different people. So, you know, um, we're trying to do our best in, in programming and taking care of our audiences um, and taking care of our performers. Um, and certainly uh, part of our, our goal is to encourage professional development um, and encourage the artists who come to the festival um, to utilize some of the master classes and things like that so that they are not just observing art or performing art, but also learning their crafts and, um, you know, sharpening their tools a little bit. Among the guests that you've lined up uh, for this festival this year, who are the guests that you are most looking forward to uh, seeing their performance for or attending their workshops? Um, well, there's two, actually, uh, that I have to mention. Um, the, the One of the shows that I'm most excited about, um, and it's almost sold out, so <laughs> if you want to see it, you better get in. Um, it's There Be Monsters, and it actually features one of the teachers here at UBC, uh, Amber Dawn who teaches a poetry class here, um, is going to be performing alongside Ivan Coyote, um, as well as Kai Cheng Tom from Toronto. Um, they have created a piece that is really only going to be performed for one night only. Um, typically, a show like this, you know, goes on many runs, but um, it's got an absolutely original score, uh, and it's happening at the York Theatre, uh, which is got all kinds of accessibility so we're super excited that a lot of people are going to be able to to see this event there be monsters um so that is definitely a big one but also um richard wagamese is here and um you know his storytelling and his sort of uh keynote keynote speaking and his just sort of insp inspirational living is sort of notorious and one of his books is being made into a, a movie which is Ragged exceptional uh, it's actually um uh, indian horse i believe I'm 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 familiar with Ragged Company. I'm sorry. I just I just thought, uh, like, because it it seems Ragged Company is set up kind of like a, like a play almost. Oh, and I thought he is I could an see. excellent playwright. Yeah. Yes, I've I've heard uh, mm -hmm. regarding that. Now, and I I do just want to say this: Amber Dawn and Ivan Coyote sounds like the most awesome double bill like I could think of. Like, Don't forget Kai Cheng Tom. Uh, Kai Cheng <laughs> yeah. Tom. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I didn't know like if I if I could if there was a if I remember the, the name, name properly. Yeah, no worries. So. I got you. Oh, but like, <laughs> Amber Dawn. Ivan Coyote and Kai Cheng Tom, like that's yeah. like you don't need you don't need a marketing not marketing for that. You just need to say, Boom. "There we go." <laughs> <Yeah>. See it <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's been selling fast, and we've got mm -hmm. so many, um, you know, sort of workshop or uh, mm -hmm. collaborative stages like that this year. So it's going to be really cool. Um, yeah. And one of the things that I found was just so inspirational about this festival is the focus on youth and getting youth to express themselves through spoken word, through um, 
literary devices. And I know one of the big parts of the festival is Hullabaloo. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Hullabaloo is? <laughs> yeah, I love when ask, people ask that question. <laughs> What's the Hullabaloo? Word. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a fun word. It is. It's great to say. Everyone should say it. Hullabaloo. Hullabaloo. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, Hullabaloo is a three-day-long youth festival that is housed within Versus Festival Words and actually used to be its own separate festival um, until a couple years ago when we merged the two um, because we really felt like uh, the youth, the exemplary work that they were creating and performing deserved bigger stages and wider audiences. Um, so it is, it's a—it's an incredible festival that really um, has taken all kinds of time to develop because what happens is people go out into the schools, poets, established poets go out into all the schools across BC, um, work with the youth there, create slam clubs. They, you know, get mentored or um, have you know, visits with the slam club and, um, and then those youth create poetry um, that they've practiced and polished and memorized, and they bring it to uh, verses and hullabaloo to perform and compete with their peers um, from all across BC. And then at the end of it, we get to crown the BC Youth Championship team. And it's really incredible. Yeah. So it's a compositional rather than improvisational focus. Yes, absolutely. Um, most of the festival, uh, or I, I guess I should say most of the performers um, have pre-written work that mm -hmm. comes to the stage. However, we do have a workshop this year um, led by Dave Morris, who is a world-renowned improvisational artist and um, is going to encourage people to sort of loosen up and, um, you know, test uh, test themselves a little bit by, like, going outside of their comfort zones and yeah, acting on the spot, which is something that I am not, uh, like, I'm, I'm very terrified of that, so I like to, like, polish my stuff, so um, it will definitely stretch my, my sort of um, comfort zone as well. Now, I'm curious because there's a whole list of workshops every single day, and I'm curious about which ones are new to this schedule, which ones are reoccurring, and specifically the two are that I'm, I'd really like to know a little bit more about the backstory for is We Believe You Showcase, um, which is about um, a spoken word, um, a spoken word open mic section mm -hmm. um, for specifically um, the youth and w as well as in interobang mm -hmm. um, and so interobang interobang that's a ah oh, that's that's like the piece of punctuation it's like a question mark and a, you know and a, I didn't yeah, know like, that then, nobody knows there that. was a, I figured out how to get it on a keyboard and I was like what is this and I looked up it's an interobang yeah like the that's amazing. It's a statement of question and exclamation. Yes, and not many people know that. I know people keep asking me, how did you come up with the name in Tarabang? I was like, it's it's a thing, guys. <laughs> it's punctuation. Like, well, the first time I told that to somebody, is like, that sounds hostile. It's punctuation. Yeah, I mean, I think people thought it was like also yeah. uh, not just hostile, but maybe like a bit of a swear word. And I was like, yeah. no, guys, it's cool. <laughs> but um, the like I said, it uh, in Tarabang sort of um, – uh, describe something that is a statement and question, or maybe a statement that is questioning. And I, um, uh, I thought that that was a great title for this uh, particular showcase because it features three artists: um, Hanif Willis, Abdur Akib, um, Richard Wagamese, who I mentioned earlier, who is such an inspiration, and also a hometown favorite here in Vancouver, Leah Horlick, um, who's you know uh, done a lot of work here on this campus as well. Um, and those three, to me, kind of exemplify the type of writers who um, not only sort of speak their opinions, but also are continually um, questioning the world around them and also their own um, sort of 
beliefs and like just really interrogating, you know, like really getting down to, to the truth of matters. Um, so that is going to be such an explosive showcase. Please go see that one. Um, and uh, also you brought up We Believe You, which is actually not um, specific to youth, but it is uh, one of our sort of open mic and showcase stages. And the thing that's really special about that, um, well, I mean, I guess it comes as sort of a response to some of the things that we've been seeing in the news um, that we have been hearing about, like, you know, the rape culture that we live in and all of that. Um, uh, I was part of the, or I, I got, I was lucky enough to participate in the march that happened uh, up Commercial Drive um, that was basically orchestrated just to remind all of the survivors of sexual assault and abuse, um, sexual violence, that there are people out there who hear your stories and believe you and want you to bring those forward. So this is just an event that is basically focused on giving space to those voices, um, but also a joyful celebration of the survival. Um, so there's going to be two incredible musicians who will be with us that day, um, Mucha Makatumpeg, as well as Lexi Marie. Um, both of them are phenomenal um, dear hearts who have so much healing music to bring. Uh, they will both be performing um, individual sets. Maybe we'll be able to get them to do a little collaboration. And then they'll also be there to support um, people who want to bring stories to the microphone. They might strum some music behind them and just help them to sort of musically expel these things. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I like I, I think that this is kind of um, the way that we can move through trauma is by um, sharing stories and, you know, uh, speaking them out of our bodies and then moving forward. Poetry yeah. as catharsis? Poetry as catharsis, indeed. I really do appreciate how you guys are coming up with new workshops to develop with current, current events, current issues, and what's going on. Um, for this, I guess, uh, Festival of Words. What are some of the, what are some of the results and outcomes you hope to see in um, the people that come, in the people that um, even if they don't attend the whole thing, the people who come to the workshops. What are some of the things that you hope to um, ignite through this festival? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think there are a lot of different goals um, for the sort of results that we want to see from this festival. Um, you know, first and foremost for me is that I want to see um, people finding themselves represented on stages uh, throughout this festival uh, in a way that encourages them to come out uh, to future events, to populate our community, you know, so that um, we don't just see one blanket face in the audience, so that we see um, such a, a wonderful sort of um, you know, like plethora of different experience. That's what I. That's one thing that I think you can sort of see the way that that changes in community. Um, but also, I would like to support the youth who are creating such wonderful work, um, and uh, I want them to to know that um, you know it's not just in their own little circle that they are experiencing these things or sharing these things, but that there's a whole community of writers that wants to sort of like swell up around them and, and support them and hold them up um, with their experience. And then, you know, I think that one of the biggest things that we can do as a festival is create opportunities for professional development so that, um, you know, the art forms that we have don't stagnate so that we are constantly challenged and stimulated and um, creating new and interesting and aware uh, work that we can put out into the world. And I guess one of the other things that I really want to see is um, cross-pollination. You know, there's a lot of, it's it's very easy for us in our communities to sort of um, make those our entire world and maybe not see anything outside of them um, or see very far outside of them. Uh, even within writing communities, you know, like poetry can be over here and storytelling over there. And what I really 
really want is for us to be um, sharing space and collaborating um, with musicians, with visual artists, all of these things so that we can make the most interesting and the most spontaneous, uh, the most like attractive and, and healing work that we can um, all together as a community. Well, thank you so much, Jillian, for coming here and talking to us about Versus Festival of Words. And it really is an event that um, I can't encourage listeners enough to go attend. It's going to be at venues throughout East Vancouver from April 21st, tomorrow, all the way to May the 1st. Um, and now, Jillian, I know that beyond being an arts director, you yourself are, is actually a slam poet. That's true. Um, and I would like to ask you if you wouldn't mind doing an original piece by yourself on air here at CITR Arts Report um, in, in order as kind of like a promotion for this event and um, just, you know, for the enjoyment of our listeners. Absolutely. I would, I would love to do that. Um, now, I, I admit that I'm very tired today, so I hope that I will get this all right. <laughs> but this is a poem um, specifically that I want to share today You might not know the place exactly, but all of us mystics lived there once, in some dimension of Oz without the luxury of rounded corners or child-safe electrical sockets, just a dangerously beautiful man juggling buzzsaws on the lawn and a bumble of naked hippies in the corner. Watch your step. Mind the broken glass. Mind the wet paint. Mind the obvious gap between us and our questionable morals. On most days, we use the oven to warm the house, but on some nights the heat of our combined bodies filled my small bed, boiling us over into the maniacal laughter of moonshine miracles and stationary dance party de-evolutions. Imagine us, every fragile light in the world turned on all at once, golden faces birthed into view then quickly disappearing. Our cell phones transformed into walkie-talkies, every message sounding out, I love you, I love you. Yes, even amidst the blinding heartbreak and the disappointing alarm clocks, there were nights of unassuming magic, nights where every mouth held a unique and intricate music, where every, <laughs> every hand held an, an, oh, I've forgotten, <laughs> and a unique and intricate music. Thank you. Yeah, no, you, you, that was, please. <laughs> um, and if you like, I can finish with the 30 seconds. <laughs> this is a, another one for you. Dear God, is it wrong that so long after our separation, I still see your face everywhere? The holy water between my legs when she touches me. The wet in her eyes, head pressed back, her sinner mouth too full of heaven. This bruised knee city springing with all the wrong kinds of love and all the best company to enjoy it in. I was birthed into a church too comfortable with a God who would make closets into coffins, but I have been born again into the religion of lost souls, baptized under bourbon-kissed streetlight and a halo of smoke plumes. There is laughter and blood in my cheek and more than enough of it to feed the masses. Today I see you in every busted lip and backroom hand job. My God, who has been so quiet, this must be your work, as baffling as all of your other mercies. 
Thank you so much, Jillian, for sharing with us not only your talent, your passion, and your knowledge, but being here with us and for sharing those um, poems. For listeners who want to hear more spoken word, um, just as amazing, please, please, please do find out more about Versus Festival Awards. So thank you so much, Jillian. Thank you so much for having me here. We are going to be back um, after a few short breaks. Jake and I will be talking about our review of the Arts Club, The Valley. So stay tuned for that. And um, you are listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Yes, we are. Oh, man. What? What? I really wanted to catch that football game, but I have to clean my room. I'm so bummed. Yo, man, totally chill out. You can catch it on CITR. CITR? Did someone say CITR? Yeah? CITR Radio brings you Thunderbird Sports on the weekends. Catch all the action and don't miss a moment of play with our live play-by-play and color commentary. Only on CITR 101.9 FM. Wow, that's great. And if you can't catch the game... Tune in at 3.30 p.m. every Thursday for our weekly update on UBC Athletics with live scores, recaps, and in-depth analysis. Oh, okay, dude. Okay, okay, dude. We get it. Dude. Only on CITR. Hey, you. Who, me? Where you think you're going? To the flea. What flea? The Wise Hall flea, sir. It's April 24th. You know, we got a song for folk like you. It's the Wise Hall flea. It's the Wise Hall flea. It's the From 11 to 5 on the last Sunday of every month at 1882 Adenac. Welcome back. You are listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. My name is Christine Kim. I'm Jake Clark. We, what was the voice at the end of that PSA like, before we lose our lives? Did Tom very, Waits have a featuring credit? It was very dramatic. but <laughs> I like Tom Waits. So. I'm not the one that picks these. That's true. Uh, That's picks true. These, uh, these commercial breaks. But um, we are your show hosts for this evening, and we are nearing the end of our show. We have talked mm-hmm. about the persistence of vision. We've talked about um, we talked about the Versus Festival of Words. And we have still yet to talk about the Arts Club Theater's performance of the Valley as well as the Real to Real International Film Festival. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and one particular theater production that I just want to highlight quickly before we, before Jake and I go into our review of the theater production, The Valley, is, is the uh, Ruby Slippers Theater and ZZ Theater's production of Five at Fifty, written by Brad Fraser, a Canadian playwright who also wrote wrote unidentified human remains and the true nature of love hope that rings a bell for any of our listeners uh this the production features uh the actors and actresses diane brown deborah williams vina sud donna yamamoto um, and beatrice zelinger so this is 50 at five at 50 is directed by cameron mckenzie and it's going to be playing at the pal studio theater may 12th to the 28th and it's about This is what's interesting. It's about a woman named Olivia who loses control and goes wild at her 50th birthday party. She's 50. 
and her three best friends decide to stage an intervention for Olivia. Um, but that just results in creating more conflict between Olivia and her lover, Norma. So it's this dark comedy, and it's one with just such an interesting premise um, that I think is unique and will raise a lot of good questions about friendship, about norms in our society, about what a 50-year-old woman should or shouldn't do. Um, and so, yeah, again, it's 5 at 50 at the Pal Studio Theater, which is 581 Cardero Street. Um, it's going to be playing from May the 12th to the 28th. If you want tickets, please go to either www.rubyslippers.ca to be redirected um, or www.zeeetheater.ca. Anyways, um, so Jake, do you want to introduce uh, to our listeners what we went to go see um, the so past weekend? We saw The Valley on Granville Island, and it was an arts club theater production. And it was, let's just say it was a, uh, I, I, I've mentioned this, like, this kind of thing when we were talking about this in the original pitch session, but it it is a piece of theater that is very, that works that is what I, I've come to understand theater work does very well at. And it's – as in it's four people on stage, two two families, uh, each represented by two of them. And it goes through a character-related crisis for uh, – which the two intersect on. And the, the premise of it is that there's a teenage boy who's arrested on a SkyTrain platform, which um, – and this is directly from the press release here – is the catalyst for a topical story about the contradictory attempts to balance care and public safety. Uh, and the characters here, also from the original release, are Connor, who has recently dropped out of college, his mother, Sharon, who is struggling with her son's recent behavior, Dan, the police officer involved with the incident, and uh, his wife, Janie, who is um, going through some unfortunate things on her own uh, after uh, some postpartum depression after the birth of their child. And um, it is it confronts... Uh, a wide variety, as it said, topical. Yes, that's a very good word for it. But it does confront these issues, which have been present and which have been in conflict uh, for a long time now in the, in the popular consciousness. And it's an interesting take on them. It's a very good work of characterization. Um, all the characters are well fleshed out. And what I liked personally was that uh, Dan, the policeman. His character, I mean, in, in light of um, the recent scenarios with um, law enforcement handling mental illness and um, other things, I mean, we all still remember um, Michael Brown and Freddie Gray pretty clearly. Uh, there's a lot of skepticism about law enforcement, and uh, I, I come from a family of medical professionals, and I've known policemen in my life, and it's a similarity between the two of them. It's a very stressful job that is very constantly – it's long hours where there's a constant low level of stress. And that takes a toll on things. It's, it's a very hard job, and it's a job that's impossible to do perfectly because, well, if you're a medical professional, your job is to combat death. And if you're a police officer, your job is to combat disorder, more or less. And that's – Strictly speaking, impossible. That's why those two things exist. But it's it's a it's a measure of what you can do. So that was my perspective going into this play, which does color my um, perception of it. What was your slant on that, Christine? Going in, I definitely wasn't prepared for the play to take um, to start off with. Oh, this is going to be a play about. Um, law enforcement and kind of the ways in which law enforcement can kind of go past the red line. What's but mm -hmm. it did shift gears and 
really end up in a space where the focus of the play Mm -hmm. and the message of the play was on mental illness and about individual human beings understanding and dealing with that. Like, I feel like the cop, Dan, it was, by the end of the play, Mm -hmm. his identity as a cop was less so. It was more of his identity as a husband to his wife and the way that he was Mm -hmm. dealing with her mental illness and how he could Mm -hmm. better come to understand her, which I think was very powerful. Um, And I think that the actors, especially, I just want to highlight Daniel Doheny, who played Connor, did a fantastic job um, in acting. So really great quality. Oh, yeah. All four performances in this one were very solid. Everybody, because all of the characters interacted at least once, everybody had a very solid dynamic. And it felt there was a lot of um, emotionally uncomfortable moments in this play, especially regarding um, Connor, the the boy who uh, has these issues with depression, and which, which is true. I've known people who suffered from depression and that it's it's not comfortable being the other person there. It's, I can only imagine what they feel, and uh, it, the, it's it's a play about these dynamics a lot of the time, and uh, like uh, all of this is done very well. They have a they have a very good equilibrium. The scenes all make sense. Like these all seem like a human reaction to events because people uh, keep doing uh, keep basically trying to follow through. On what they uh, on what they think, what they set up. Like Dan keeps trying to follow through on what he sees as his duties, his obligations as a father and as a policeman. And uh, and uh, Sharon, who is Connor's mother, keeps trying to help him and to be positive. And um, for both the people who have issues in the play, so there's those two figures are the people. And then conversely, there's Connor and Janie. Um, and Connor is uh, he's suffering from depression. He goes off to university and it gets really bad. Like, he comes back on Thanksgiving and doesn't go back. Um, it, the, I, I'd make a crack about it and going back to Alberta, but no. Um, I, I, I couldn't really. It, it's it's an issue mental illness. Like, he has problems with his roommate. He has issues of identity. And for a lot of people, leaving the house uh, at first, that is difficult. I, I had the the privilege of going away for education, for, for schooling in summer, so I had kind of that experience of confusion and um I, I don't want to say instability but um tumult early in my life so when i came out here i mean i still i i have insomnia but that's the worst problem i can report and i can see why that's a jarring scenario for people who leave home and they find themselves in a situation where they don't know anybody and they don't know exactly what to go how to go about things and the actor playing Connor, as I said, Doheny is it is of of the four main actors. He has to do. He has the greatest work in pitch. He can go. His character is extremely sad, kind of snarky, and ex- enraged in over the course of the same scene. Like it's it's leaps and bounds across an emotional spectrum. And the catalyst of the play, the confrontation on the Sky Train, uh, is a good part of that because he's. He's delirious at the time, and he has that completely. Like, his body's kind of slack. He's moving around. He's always keeping himself presented to the audience, so it's very easy to see these expressions play across his face as he's as the character, because Dan is telling him to stand down. Because he's got posters. It looks like a weapon, which, uh, considering people have been shot for... The guy, some guy in Toronto got about 11 bullets in him for, for having a Swiss Army knife. So that was comparatively less than that but um this this scene he is it, it looks honestly like he's 
has like he's stuck in this tumult, this in this chaos, and he's just working around that. Um, but for me, there was kind of a barrier to this play that kept me from empathizing with that character uh, a whole lot. And before I go into that, I, I just want to ask you how you thought that dynamic played out. Well, actually, that just presentation played out. Moving with the idea of of being barred from empathizing with the character. I actually think that people, especially during final exam season, if you're a UBC student listening to this, I do kind of feel as though the empathy that you feel towards um, the, the character of Connor um, is a lot more easier than if you were or like an adult like a, a full-time job working adult or a teenager, I think the setting, the kind of uh, circumstances that push mm-hmm. him into mental illness is the stress or the, um, we're not really sure what exactly happened. We're not ever told um, what happened to Connor while he was away. But um, I think that the, um, the ways in which he's like acting out um, is something that university students, um, some university students, and actually I think a lot might be able to, um really relate to yeah um yeah i i I figured that uh sort of but the thing for me um about connor's character it was that i i really have trouble with characters because his character is a writer as much as made of that ability he writes a sci-fi story um in it which is read by a janie and she visits him to compliment him about it um and i've seen a lot of characters like that, self-insert characters for, um, in this case, usually white male writers who also are, feel confused and angsty about things. Um, I'm I'm a straight white guy, and I sometimes have trouble empathizing with this because I've known throughout most of my life that the license to have those problems is part of that demographically. And the license to have the make that of it, and I, I'm not trying to trivialize mental illness here because it is a serious point. There's a serious point made of that. He's not functional. But I, were this made, um, were this made into, I mean, I, I want to say if this was framed more focusing on him and if the others were peripheral, peripheral characters, it would have been an insufferable play. It probably would have. Um, but Joan McLeod, the playwright, uh, for one thing, she's, excellent at depicting um, everybody's story in equal in equally so nobody is devoid of context like possibly Sharon the mother is, is probably has the least context of any of the characters but you don't really need to have it explained that she's a mother who loves her son and wants to help him like uh, like I, 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 I hope not I mean like that's because she is uh, she is framed as a person who doesn't necessarily understand what's going on. She doesn't really understand mental illness. She does not understand law enforcement in the slightest. But um, that's, again, a, a, a lot of people don't. And I, I definitely know that I understand law enforcement much better than I understand mental illness. And I understand law enforcement in a cursory sense. And, and as a result of that, it's, you kind of see what she knows, but also what she doesn't know. And how that plays into because she gets extremely angry at the poli- at at uh, Dan the officer for she because he breaks he breaks Connor's jaw when bringing him down which again it's it's not a clear cut case of brutality here like it's not like he shot him 
And she brings up a case of an animator who was bipolar, snapped, and ended up getting shot a few times once while he was kneeling after being shot otherwise, which is a good point to consider. Um, but in, in this case, like, you look at it from, at least I was looking at it from Dan's angle, and it's like, that's not a permanent injury. That's going to hurt, and that's going to how that's going to cause some issues if you have to get your jaw reset but well i mean in the play um Mm -hmm. it was revealed that the police officer was preventing dan from or preventing connor from Mm -hmm. kind of killing himself by because connor was because he was trying to attempt suicide by cop which actually to be fair like like to be fair with the the medium there's a lot of policemen who are ill-informed and might have actually done that, might have actually acted on the threat, like might have pulled and shot him. It's happened. And that would be brutality. That would be a mishandling of the situation because he's... The guy playing Connor, I think this, this might be the dynamic of the actors, but the guy playing Connor is not a big guy. He's not imposing. And, um, yeah, he's, he's not difficult to overpower. But on the other hand, if you're looking at somebody who's larger or more aggressive and who presents more of a, that facade while they're having a mental breakdown, yeah, the, the force is going to escalate accordingly. Because if you're a policeman, and Sharon mentions this, you're not trained usually to deal with um, psychiatric issues. You get cursory training about it. But uh, that's just not part of the curriculum. And in Sweden, she, she points us out in Sweden that – Policemen are equal parts guidance counselor and therapist as well, which, and I've seen Wallander. That's not the case, really. But it, it is. It is. I, I joke, but uh, I, I did look this up, and the Swedish system does have a greater emphasis on that. But there is also the emphasis that you're still a policeman, and your job is still to neutralize a threat more than tender counseling. So it's not as clear cut a distinction. Now, the other conversation that was started, I know, when we were talking about this uh, production afterwards, is the idea of agency when you are mentally ill. How much of your actions, um, how much of the responsibility of your actions fall on you or your illness? Well, that's that. And that was this play kind of confronts that in that Connor is. At least as I saw, he's not really functional, but he's not hearing voices. He doesn't have drastic uh, alterations to his personality. He just – it kind of exacerbates his issues, which is depression um, acts that way. It just impairs things like that, impairs functionality that way. And um, a lot of people can have function with depression because they incorporate it into the routine. And that doesn't help because often those people don't – get help and down the road um bad things happen it's with connor um it's shown that he's young he has still has his life ahead of him so he has the ability to get recourse from that like he's he can he can avoid like i don't think he's he's not old enough to drink yet so like he's he's first year university he's 18 years old so in Alberta, you can drink. Oh right, yeah. Ah, go to now, Calgary. Now I realize that, and it, they never mention that as a catalyst for his mental illness or anything. So that, that's probably not relevant. But the the um the agency he has, it's because it's presented as kind of ambiguous. Like on the one hand, he's functional before, and he's less so after that. But he always seems to have the capability. A lot of the times, it seems like he's just having amplified problematic emotions. Which is, I think a lot of people, when they think of mental illness, they think of somebody um, getting voices in their head telling them to um, 
to, to telling them to uh, do drastic things or sudden mood swings that make them snap back and forth between alternate personas, which um, is comparatively rare. And for for Connor's character, it does kind of show that he's he presents as much more normal than you'd expect, like just extremely and extremely bummed and mopey normal until he just breaks down on the um, on the on the uh, on the uh, sky train. I think, and there's there's uh, his mother makes a joke at one point that he uh, says kind of jokingly that he's a teenager, and that's part of it. But no. I, I don't think, like, that's, like, that's as part of the, re- I think that's part one reason uh, a lot of people disregard it, because when you're young, yeah, you do have a lot, you probably have a lower threshold of stability. I'm probably not one to talk there, but <laughs> that's also when, like, around puberty, late, late puberty is when symptoms of chronic mental illness start to manifest for a lot of people, and if that gets disregarded, the 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 ability to treat it is minimalized, and I think that this play points that out that um, this is the best time for that, and this character still has hope because they've caught it that early. Yeah, as you can see, the valley really did provoke so much conversation yes, on a variety of different topics. So, and it was it was it was created to do that. I think the direction by Mandy Mindy Parfit. Perfect. Excuse me. Um, was very simp- Was very um, very emotive and very verbal. Uh, the characters, uh, especially later on when they got sort of got into the groove of things, uh, were very. The, they were tr- it, it, a lot of it was trying to articulate feelings and perceptions that were again hard to approach. Like there's uh, the fact that Janie and Dan keep trying to have a conversation about her going back to work. Um, or her former addiction to cocaine, and I believe it was cocaine, could have been heroin, but no, 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 it'd be cocaine. Um, but uh, they, and it's hard to have that discussion, mostly because he doesn't want to, and part of that is what is required to cope with that, and conversely, uh, Sharon tries to get Dan to, tries to get Dan, sorry, Connor, to um, speak up about his feelings, and Connor's reaction to that is, uh, Abuse. It's verbal abuse. That's another thing that I had a uh, problem with, because um, it's it's uh, the, again when you suffer from mental illness, you do do the question of agency is brought up there. But uh, that made me rather angry. I think that was supposed to be the purpose of it. Mm-hmm. But the direction works with that, and the set design too is very minimalist. There's a couple chairs, a bag, and little else. So it's that kind of Brechtian sense where you have to focus on the characters. And again, all of these people are charismatic. Like they 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 um all present um their persona their chosen character well complexly. There's never there were never any f- moments of flatness or deli- or poor delivery among it. the The material was presented. I think I haven't read the play, so it's hard for me to say this, but it was presented to the max of what it could do emotively, especially with Connor, because I I, I imagine after imagine that would have been a very hard role to act because of the things he does. Uh. I can't really say much else about 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 that really because these I got I'm I'm very personally biased about this um in my perception of of law enforcement and a mental illness. 
So if anything we've said has sparked your interest about going to watch the Valley, mm -hmm. um, it is going to be playing at the Granville Island stage until May the 7th. Mm -hmm. And tickets start from $29. So Fantastic you, venue, by the way. Yes. If you would like to go see it, uh, please do uh, search up the Arts Club. And if anything we've talked about, you know, about mental illness, law enforcement, etc., has mm -hmm. is something you'd like to respond to, reach out to us. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts, either on the play or some of the topics we talked about on Facebook, on our Facebook or Twitter accounts. And now, moving, switching gears a little bit, um, you have a norm plug, do you not? Yes, that's right. I have one last norm plug, because that is a tradition I am very proud of. All eight months of this show. Anyway, uh, the uh, there is tonight. There is the can, this is Canadian Film Day. Yes, 420 is Canadian Film Day. I enjoy that as much as you do. Believe me. Uh, but tonight at the Norm, there is the Cinema Fantastique. I believe it's actually is that it. I I've heard that mentioned regarding to it, but it's um the projects several projects mainly from in the field of horror and done by uh, by female directors and um, creators. And the one I'm aware of right now is Inferno. Not 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 the Dario Argento movie, although I, I was confused too for a second. But uh, no, it's uh, a short done by Dion Copeland, who is a, um, is I believe, she's, she's a film student and she's made, um, I've seen one of her shorts at a previous Norm collection and she has a, she has a knack for this. Uh, she does. I, I could recommend. I, I, I re definitely recommend seeing it. You come down to the norm. It actually starts. The doors are open at six, and the festival starts at seven, which means there may be pizza there. If that's if that's an incentive to anybody, I highly recommend it. It's a fun time, and you get to know, you get to figure out where the norm is so that you can come down to POV later. There you have it. It is our the Arts Report's penultimate show, but this is actually Jake Clark's last show before Hold ours. Your applause, please. <laughs> our summer um, hiatus. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, thank you so much, Jake, for mm -hmm. all of the content that you have shared uh, with the Arts Report these past eight months. It has been such a joy getting to uh, getting to banter with you and to hear your reviews and to you know host your norm plugs you've been what you That's are a very our interesting MVP. sentence there <laughs> you are our mvp for uh this 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 school year's arts report well you know what i'm 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 very happy to be here the arts report was it's it's honestly there is no downside for this for the entire year for me like this i got to see some great shows i got to meet some great people i've got a face for radio so everything in this station has really done a lot of work for me and I, i've eulogized the the station before on our on our fun drive day so I, I won't try to be redundant here but i'm gonna say that when i come back i'll hopefully have helped things out so i stutter less and maybe go on less odd digressions about my personal biases but i i i've just very much enjoyed being here and you know what i I gotta say goodbye, and I gotta say it with a heavy heart, but I'll be back in four months. Fantastic. You are listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, and it is 6.11 right now. We have gone over time, and we will be going over time for a few, for about 10 to 15 more minutes. Um, the way that The Arts Report show today is going to end off is going to be a pre-recorded bit about the Real to Real, a celebration of moving images for Youth Society festival that took place. Um, and 
what the Real to Real is, it's a nonprofit charity dedicated to showing the best in culturally diverse, authentic programming for youth specifically. And the annual film festival um, that it hosts has public screenings, hands-on workshops, interactive panel discussions, and public forums. Um, and the mission of the festival is to involve youth in actively viewing and discussing professionally made films to expose youth to new ideas and cultural perspectives and to offer high-quality cinematic entertainment outside of the mainstream. This, uh, this charity Sounds organization... Like yes, this is actually directly from the uh, press release, and it was founded in 1998, uh, but... For this year's uh, Real to Real Festival specifically, um, it took place on April the 8th to the 15th, which was last week. And Siobhan Yu, one of our arts reporters, went to go, uh, attended the festival. So we're going to be playing her a uh, bit to uh, lead us out, I guess. And afterwards, um, afterwards, the next show isn't sharing science. At 6.30, it's Sam Squatch's Hideaway. So please do stay tuned uh, for Sam Squatch's Hideaway after the Real to Real review by Siobhan Yu. Um, and I just want to thank you, thank everyone for listening to this entire show. And as an extra talk, an extra bout of, I guess, gra- gratification for listening, I have two tickets to uh, the Versus Festival of Words day um, Thursday, April the 28th. It'll get you into all four bouts um, starting um, at 7 p.m. to 8.30. Um, it's at a whole bunch of locations, Havana Theater, Cafe de Soleil. Um, and like I said, it features um, performances by spoken word, word artists. And if you'd like the full lineup of what's going on on Thursday, April the 28th, please do go to versusfestival.ca. And if you are interested in these free pair of tickets, all you need to do is go on to our Facebook page um, or reach out to us on our Twitter account. Uh, the, our Facebook page is the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, and our Twitter handle is at CITR underscore Arts Report. Um, and so, basically, um, all you would have to do is shout out to us either on our Facebook or our Twitter um, the word, the this phrase, Canadian Individual Poetry Slam, colon, day one. That is Canadian Individual Sips Poetry Slam, colon, day one. All right. So, um, yes, uh, if you would like these uh, pair of tickets, please do reach out to us because they are up for grabs. And and it has been it has been good. I look forward to uh, meeting up with you guys again next week. Same time, same tape, same place. Wednesdays, 5 p.m. Broadcasting to you live from the University of British Columbia. My name is Christine Kim. I'm Jake Clark. It's been a slice. Cheers, folks. Tune in again next week. interesting that my name is Jenna and I work for Real to Real International Film Festival for Youth. Yeah, it's uh, super interesting that what I'm studying in school is uh, actual conversation that's happening in Vancouver and being able to see that change from just that scholarly perspective of just having to read all these papers about media and all that, but then seeing the applicability of that in real life. I think as um, more and more content goes on the internet, I think People are trying to make this sort of thing more accessible um, by having more conversations on YouTube or on Twitter 
um, where we're having more of a conversation about representation in a very accessible way, not just to adults who are scholars and reading scholarly papers, but also to youth. So, you know, using things that they're already watching and consuming and talking about in a very, like, accessible way. Like, oh, I've seen this movie and this show, and now they're kind of talking about it in, say, like a one-minute YouTube soundbite. Yeah, definitely. I feel like because of YouTube and stuff, well, younger people have more access to technology to have a voice that they maybe didn't have anymore or before. And then I feel like there's been a lot of programs lately, like there's, like, the Frames Film Program or there's a bunch of other ones that are helping youth in with mental illness or from marginalized communities that to be able to have a voice. So I feel like uh, programs like this are super important. Yeah, I really agree with that. Um, I think that more and more youth are having a voice online, but there are still communities, even in BC, where, um, for example, a lot of the First Nations communities don't have the same internet access that we do here in the city. So um, making sure that they have a voice is also very important. Um, so when a community doesn't have equal access, that can mean that those voices are also silenced. So I think it's important to have events as well as the internet to talk about these things because some people might not have the way of getting their voice out into the public. But I think as internet access expands and you know, as youth get more and more tools that are very cheap and accessible, like open source software, they have more ways of expressing their voice and talking about things like mental illness and um, the issues facing their communities. Somebody was looking the sponsors, and I think is it a uh, government sponsored, the Real to Real, or? Uh, yes, we get um, a lot of grants from the government. Um, so those grants go to programs um, like we have a program where we go to um, First Nations communities and um, have youth there make their own films. Um, we actually brought three youth this year who made their own youth film about um, their community in Bella Bella, and they're here in attendance. Mm -hmm. So um, as a festival, we try to make sure that there's voices for people all over the world and also in the community, because that's very important to us. Yeah, so new because I feel like there's been talk of like budget cuts to like arts programs, and I'm wondering whether like the co general conversation is steering towards that media is important or it doesn't seem as important as perhaps like STEM, uh, like sciences or technology and that sort of thing. Well, there, there's kind of this conversation now about STEAM, where the arts play into that. Um, because now a lot of arts and technology are intertwined, looking at like 3D printing or virtual reality, uh, without the artists to create, you know, sort of the final products and the designers, you know, they're all kind of intertwined together. I think a lot of people look down on art, but art is a way of expressing and also creating empathy between people and being able to step into somebody's shoes, um, like I mentioned in the presentation. Um, you know, these different stories and scenarios, we might not have them in our own lives, but movies and all these different things, they give us the opportunity to you know, have those experiences. And now that technology and sciences and all these things are intertwining more and more, um, I feel like arts is really a part of that as well, even if um, people don't quite see that connection, maybe just yet. Yeah, and we're also during the presentation we talk about having that like fine balance between like cultural appropriation versus ha like properly empathizing with a certain uh, group of people. I feel like that's also really important, in, especially in like mainstream media where that doesn't seem to be necessarily the case. I, I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of cultural oppression is still happening. 
um, where certain people can't wear their particular hair hairstyle to work, but then say a certain celebrity does it and it becomes trendy. So you know their community, their their arts and those things, they're silenced and you know people people might frown on, for example, somebody wearing a headscarf. But if say a celebrity does it, it becomes sort of this trendy fashion thing, and they don't see why somebody might have a problem with that. Um, and it's because of the fact that they can't openly express themselves in this way. Yeah, because I guess especially because pop culture is so ingrained in like whether like we see it as entertainment or like it hits really close to home, it's hard to see it as something that influences us necessarily, even though because we're constantly watching things, because we're constantly exposed to this, um, we get this, even if it's unconscious, we get this impression of like a certain group of people. So. Yeah, I guess that really points to how important media actually is. I think um, when people say that it doesn't have an influence, they f also forget that it's influencing them on an emotional level. I think people have cried at movies, people have laughed at movies, um, you know, people have reactions to movies. So to say that representation does not matter doesn't really make sense because clearly this does have an impact on you, even if it's just on an emotional level. And I think it also has an impact on an intellectual level showing um, different like you know stories and different communities will make you think about those communities and think about those stories and think about what's going on in the world whether it's a documentary or if it's like a fictional story I think um, media is important because it makes us think about the world and our place in the world and also what's happening with other people in the world yeah and definitely that like first impact or emotional impact people are usually inspired to do maybe make change in their own community or like start initiatives kind of like Maybe some people want to be a lawyer from watching Law and Order or examples like that of seeing people they look up to who are in that profession. And yeah. Yeah, for sure it definitely has like a big influence and a big impact. And I think youth are also starting to change the landscape just by how they are interacting with media. Um, you have youth making online content that's like parroting or like, you know making fun or questioning this media and a lot of people dismiss that as just like internet junk or internet garbage but a lot of um, the youth are pointing out things in the media that are happening and they're voicing things that are going on yeah like in the present youth definitely I feel like have more agency because we grow up with like learning how to use a computer or versus maybe the older people in the industry who don't have that sort of frame of reference of being able to be so familiar with technology and be really willing to try new things. Yeah, and I think that um, also comes to their understanding of how media is so influential. I think youth have an understanding of how youth can kind of, sorry, how the media is kind of influencing them. Um, I think older audiences, they do also understand, but um, they don't have the same level of interaction if they, for example, don't use the internet, if they're not participating in these online communities. But I think there are older people participating in these uh, online communities, it's just fewer in number. Mm -hmm. So I think um, it'll be interesting to see in the upcoming generations as you know we get older, how things shift and how things change with our interaction media. You know, how does our online feedback gonna feed into the creators? Um, how is our like little online memes or comments, like how are these things going to be looked at in the future? What do you think would be your like ideal media landscape? I don't know what you would call it. Um, I think there's a lot of work that has to be done at sort of even just the hiring level, um, just to make sure that we are hiring 
a variety of groups and um, not really looking, like making sure that we're giving equal opportunity to every group. I think that's a real struggle and it's a real challenge um, because it's very easy, I think, in this industry to be like, hey, I'm going to hire my friend um, and just hi keep hiring from the same group of people. Um, so I think, you know, giving opportunities, making sure we have inclusion, things like, you know, the Nickelodeon shorts program, the very shorts programs that were mentioned by a bunch of our guests um, are a way of doing that because, you know, you pitch and it's based on the strength of your pitch and, like, what kind of ideas you bring forward. So I think giving um, a lot of opportunities to these youth and upcoming filmmakers and just kind of opening the door um, from behind the scenes, making sure that it's at every level, like actors and writers and directors and... Um, also, the executive positions as well. Okay. Thanks so much. You're talking with me. No worries. Thank you so much for having me.